We have ignition sequence start. Short distance, high impact. Five, four, three, two. All engines running. Ten questions with Adam Joir. Big names, great minds. Make yourself a cup of tea. Liftoff. We have liftoff. Welcome to 10 Questions. Today is Kate Langbrook Day. She has one of the most agile minds and wicked turns of phrase in show business. She's also a forensic reader of people and their motivations. Kate grew up in Queensland, had migrant parents and was a Jehovah's Witness. When she moved to Melbourne, she became a screenwriter and then a radio and TV personality, while also writing a column for several magazines. I remember her weekly column in a community newspaper in the mid-1990s, which got me through some pretty hard times. I spoke to her on a Saturday while she was waiting in a car park for her daughter to finish a singing, dancing, acting and improv class, and the result is Kate at her best, particularly as she works up ahead of steam at around the 18-minute mark. Let us know what you think on Twitter at The10Questions and on Facebook at 10Questions with Adam Zwar. Here we go. I'm going to ask you the yeah. first question. Okay. All right. Okay. Kate Lambrook, when were you most happy? I, d- I don't believe in the notion of overall happiness, but overall I am happy. Yep. But I think what you do is it's like when you have a necklace made of beads. One bead doesn't make the necklace. They all have to be little beads together. Otherwise, you've just got a rotten old, you know, chain with one thing on it. So all those little beads are moments of happiness. But overall, I would have to say, in my life, there was a period when um, I had just broken up from a long-term relationship and I'd come back from overseas and I didn't have a house and I got rid of all my worldly possessions. Was like a, I was like a monk's law, <laughs> like a lady monk. <laughs> anyway, although having more sex, I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> but there was a period in my life where I moved into this giant house that um, this guy that I didn't know that I came to know was, um, had, was like caretaking it. And so the owner had said to him, you can just run it and give me the rent for it. So he ran it sort of like a boarding house sounds wrong, but basically people could go there and rent rooms and downstairs was all artists. Oh, a couple yeah. of whom were junkies, but yeah. beautiful, great artists. And upstairs were the girls. Okay. And uh, yeah. And so I lived in that house, which had like 24 bedrooms and 15 people lived in it. And, but because there were so many people in the house, I didn't have a key. There was a long period where I didn't have a key. So I, I lived my life as an adult, but I didn't have a key to anything. I didn't have a car. I didn't have a house key. And the feeling of being totally unencumbered by keys, I associate <laughs> with happiness. Question two, who would you like to apologise to and why? No, no one. It would be, there'd be too many people. Mm. There'd be too many people for too many things. Not big things, but, you know, sometimes apparently I'm quite blunt with people. But that's... Although I think in a jolly sort of way. Yeah, a charming way. I like a bit of rough play, but sometimes I think your, what your idea of humour is not someone else's. Mm. So maybe some of those people, although quite frankly, I'm so disinterested in those people. No, I'm not apologising to anyone. No, fuck them. I'm not apologising to R. Good. Let's move on. I love it. What's your greatest regret? 
do you cut out these pauses? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can cut out the pauses, absolutely. You don't have to. I mean, it might make me appear thoughtful rather than <laughs> ill-prepared. My greatest regret, you know what my greatest regret is? That I didn't get um, into some sort of physical something when I was young. Sport-wise? Like, as a child. Mm. Yeah, I never played any sport. Because you're seeing and your kids play sport? Yes, I'm seeing them do it, and I see... That 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 they've overcome the you know the genetic lottery loss that I've bequested them, <laughs> and they've actually managed to get quite good at some things. And I wish I think it shows. I think it teaches you some sort of um, I don't know. It teaches you to be not a quitter, and I'm such mm. a quitter, except of you know things vices. Yeah, <laughs> but if, 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 it's, if it's anything physically challenging, I'm just like, ah, oh, I can't be bothered. Mm. And I would like to have that. Yeah, you know, there was one stage where I was running around. Um, well, I say running, <laughs> walk running, but I would do. I would go around the botanical gardens track here in Melbourne, the tan around the tan track, which is three three point something kilometres. And I discovered something about myself that is so despicable in this modern world. Once upon a time, I'm sure it would have been considered to be okay, equality. But now, you know, where you must finish, you can dream it, you can do it, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Anyway, I discovered in myself a really hideous quality is that as soon as I could see the finish line, so I'd run round the, you know, up the hill first and then round the outside, and then there's a long straight bit at the end which is, I don't know, what, 500 metres or whatever, as soon as I could see the end, I'd stop. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? And somehow repulsive. <laughs> no, that is... I'm like, oh, I can see the end. That's good enough for me. I think it's just a physical thing because obviously you don't do that in your professional life. You finish... Well, I you think finish... I do, Swan. I think I do. Really? But you know, well, I'm not, well, I'm not you know, particularly driven... But you got up at four thirty every morning for how many years? Yeah, but that was just to get up and have fun. Yeah, I didn't get up at four thirty in the morning to write a book. <laughs> you know, <laughs> or to write a film, or a play, mm. or a TV show. I wrote. I got up to do something that I thought was fun. That is fun. You know, that's easy for me. Maybe other people listening would go, "Oh, that's like you." That's really hard. Kate says she's never covered of being ridiculously rich and has got herself into a financial position where she only does jobs that she enjoys. So don't expect a Zoot review from her anytime soon. That's why I, I you know, only do stuff I want to do. Yeah. I've never wanted to get myself in a position where I was, you know, hidebound by some enormous mortgage or whatever or wanting, I don't know, a new Mercedes or something so that I was compelled to do that shitty work that you can do in our business. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just those rotten, you know, a zoot review, you know. I just don't want to do any of that shit. Uh, There's plenty of people who like to do that shit, by the way, and I'm not maligning them. Only if they were me, I'd be maligning them. Mm. I am maligning them, actually. I find it a bit despicable. I've been that person, though. You go, ah. I actually need this. The mortgage isn't going to pay for itself. I, I have to go and do an, an ad. Well, <laughs> you, well, but you know the thing is, here's the thing, but you've never done an ad as yourself. No. You've done an ad as a character. Yep. I find that a very different sort of thing than 
standing up as yourself and putting your name on and your likeness and pretending that you're into a product that you're not into. I just, I'm like, oh, why? I know that you don't eat Twisty. Yeah. Why are you advertising? You know? I just like, but I know that I'm, Husey and I discuss this all the time. Husey, who I work with, because comedians, most comedians, particularly male comedians, don't seem to have any of that. They're just like, yeah, why wouldn't I? Yeah, I'll do an ad for you, which is very relaxed and, you know, delight, a delightful demeanour, particularly, I'm sure, if you're a company who's wooing them. Rather than uptight, spinster like me, you're not a appropriate suitor. Mm. <laughs> I shall die with my hymen intact. <laughs> Kate, a question for what will you still need to do to feel you've lived a satisfactory life? Outlive my children. <laughs> Kate went on to clarify that she didn't want to outlive her children in a physical sense. She just wants her children to remember her and remember her well for the duration of their lives. I, f- I find it hard as a um, as someone with an artistic temperament or whatever, I don't know. It's a bit selfish, you know, creative people are often a bit selfish. Mm. It's a really big stretch for me being a, a parent. I mean, maybe everyone has that, but I know, you know, friends of mine just seem to hand themselves over to it so beautifully and unresentfully. <laughs> <laughs> but... I'm really, I'm quite good. I'm not, I'm not bad. I'm not one of those, I'm going to write a bad mummy blog. <laughs> Today I smashed my daughter in the head because she irritated me. I fucking hate those bad mummy blogs. I'm just like, can't we just talk about being nice and yeah. happy in what we do? You know, they're just, I'm, I'm sure the first one seemed refreshing. We talked mummy blogs for a bit and then we got onto parental legacy. My husband talks all the time about me. His, his mum's mum, his nana. Yeah. And I just think, oh, God, that's so beautiful. She was just so vivid. And I never spent time with my grandparents because I was a migrant, you know. And I think, oh, I'd love to be, um, I'd, love to, I'd like to be remembered like that. That's immortality, you know, through the people that know and love you. That's immortality. That's the only way you can achieve it. Although Rupert Murdoch seems to be doing quite well. Oh, he says he'll never die. Of course, the other way you might be able to impact your children's lives after you pass is to become a guardian angel. Who knows if they exist? But I told Kate that when my mother died, suddenly my life started to sort itself out without me doing anything to help myself. And I wondered if there was some sort of heavenly intervention going on. Yes, yes. Oh, you know, I totally believe in that. I absolutely believe in that. It's like she, for the first time, was able to have an unfettered look at my life and went, oh, no, this won't do. (laughs) This is terrible. Yes. And she went, Adam, I tried to help you when I was there physically Mm. and you wouldn't let me, but now you can't stop me. (laughs) (laughs) And now she's like, let's just tidy this up, darling. I love you. That's exactly right. You've nailed it. Mm. Question five, who is the person who most influenced you and how? Well, it would have to be my parents, I'd say. And really, I think, or the religion, that's not really a person, I guess, but because I was raised a Jehovah's Witness by my parents, I think I've, I was always um, comfortable, or not, not comfortable, but very familiar with the sense of being an outsider. Because yeah. if you're a Jehovah's Witness, you know, there's very few of you, and you you go to normal schools and whatever, but you're not normal. And so you get you, and you don't celebrate Christmas, you don't go to birthdays, so you're always, you know, on the outside. 
but you're quite comfortable on the outside because you're told that's where you you should be to be doing the right thing. You know, people are always like, oh, you poor thing, you know, when you were little and told and you didn't celebrate Christmas. But you don't, didn't know it, so you didn't miss it. I, I think that was probably my greatest influence because I, I, the work that I've grown up to do, and I guess the person that I am is not, I'm not very good at mainstream, I guess. I live in the mainstream, you know what I mean? My work is mainstream. Commercial radio is mainstream. Oh, yeah, but you're a free thinker. I do love free thinkers. I couldn't join a political party because their ideologies are so prescriptive and they rule out good ideas that their opposition might have. Yeah. Well, that's really stupid, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. As if one person's going to have all the good ideas or one political party's going to have all the good ideas. That's right. And you don't get to know anyone until they leave. You don't get to know a politician yes. until they, they leave. Yes, that's right. And I, I'm always struck by when they leave, how they get up, both sides get up and speak so beautifully about them. And then you realise they they don't hate each other. They just fucking hate us, politicians. <laughs> they hate us. They actually love each other. They're all in the same club. They seem like they're in several separate clubs. They're not. There's one club of them versus us. And when I say us, I mean people, ta- people, the people who are elected to pay the tax. So question six is when was the last time you cried and why? I'm not a very big crier, actually. I'm not, I'm not a sort of um, regular crier, but I am sentimental. Particularly, oh, actually, probably last night when I tucked my um, seven-year-old boy in, Artie, who's the one who's got no interest in me. He's just into sport. He's just <laughs> totally into sport. So he's got no interest in me other than that I make him his favourite meal. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and anyway, but so when I tuck him in at night, I always whisper beautiful things to him in his ear and he lies really still. I speak really quietly and he has to listen really carefully and he just stiffens so he can hear every word. <laughs> and I'd, I'd say beautiful things to him. And last night I got to see him play basketball, which I've been missing this year because I've been doing, you know, drive radio. Yeah. And his matches are always on Friday afternoon or night. And this one I got to see because it was a quarter past six. And I was so thrilled when I saw him do a couple of laybacks or layups or whatever they're called. Anyway, it was great. He got some baskets. And so last night I was whispering beautiful things in his ear and he always gets little tears in his eyes. Oh. Yeah, like he's sentimental, like like all sportsmen are. You know, they don't have any words, but they love to cuddle their buddies and yeah. they always say beautiful things about their mothers on Brownlow night. <laughs> you know, that's just yeah. – but the rest of the time you can't get two peeps out of them. No. Anyway, and when I saw his eyes – sort of well up my eyes well done oh that's lovely Mm, that was gorgeous question seven what is your current state of mind distracted i'm always slightly distracted because i'm going home to mum and dad will come over and we'll have pancakes and stuff is that what you mean literally yeah yeah yeah. i'm so happy right now i'm so happy it's saturday (laughs) love oh god i've become such a working stiff God, I love the weekends. But, and also because I'm sort of creatively satisfied, everyone's grace, everyone that I know and that I, I care about is doing well. Question eight, what do you consider your greatest achievement? That um, I really, I have to, I, I can't 
mm, this is hard, that, that my family and my son and I endured his leukaemia, mm. really. But I don't even like to say that out loud because I don't want to draw the eye of the gods, you know, that you're mm. somehow... It's not a fuck you cancer at all. It's like that literally that we survived. Yep. That was... I would not have thought that I could have survived that. Yeah. You see, you know, cancer is humbling, isn't it? It just is mm. humbling. Not yep. the way Kanye thinks winning awards is humbling. <laughs> You know, because you realise that you have no power and you have no control mm. and you're laid low and that which you treasure the most can just be ripped away from you. That is truly humbling. How many years was the whole thing? Three and a half years. Oh, my God. But also I'm speaking from the point of a favourable outcome. There are so many people who, you know... People I've loved who haven't had favourable outcomes, as mm. you know, you know. Yeah. So that changes things as well. This is my favourite question, uh, uh, and it can apply to work or life. Who would you want on your side in a battle, and why? Um, I'd be. I'd like you on my side in a battle. By the way. Oh, thanks. Mm. I'd like you on my side. I'd like. My husband on my side. I'd like Husey on my side, although he'd be so tiresome in the trenches. What? <laughs> Who put this down here? You need to go over the thing. <laughs> still, do you know what I mean? Like, he's very aggressive. I like people who've got some attack in them. Yep, yep. I, oh. like, I like, you know, to think, and some humour. Yeah. You've got to, if I'm going into battle, we've got to have some. We've got to have some hard laughs along the way. It's <laughs> not worth it. What are you fighting for? Yeah. What are you? Like what are the you... Middle East. <laughs> the Middle East. How fucking miserable that whole setup is, isn't it? Oh yeah. Or Afghanistan. What are you fighting? Like you can't. You can't. You can't fight some cunts, can you? No. They want to put fucking sackcloths over women and cut holes out for our eyes. I'm scared stuck. Yeah. That's not fun. That's not fun. No. I just want to have some fun. Yeah. I want to have some fun. I want to be in, in, if I go into battle, I want it to be with people who are fun because in my experience of life, they're the people who are worth fighting for and with. Mm. Mm. Oh, there's so many deadheads. And so many miserable people and so many earnest people. I'm not discounting the people whose jobs require them to be serious, you know. Like, I don't want a laughing engineer building our next bridge. <laughs> I, I mean, I appreciate the, you know, seriousness of what those people do. But as far as what I do, I mean, what we, what's my war going to be, Zoir? What's my war going to be? You know what I think it is? There's a, actually a war at the moment, I think. There's a freedom of speech war, for sure. Mm. For me, who works in the radio and, you know, I talk for 10 hours a week, live, you know, there's, it's so prescriptive now what you can say and what you can't say. And, no, we don't use that terminology anymore and, Really? You're you're evil if you say this. And the cry of racism is just so feeble-minded. You know, I wrote a column the other week about... Um, it was about um, 
loyalty cards and how everyone's trying to do loyalty cards and they just drive me crazy. I don't have any loyalty cards because mm. basically you're trying to make me a slave of your business because I'm carrying your card around, right? Yeah, yeah. And then I was talking about how I even went, I had a Chinese foot massage and they tried to give me a loyalty card and the woman was so vicious in her <laughs> in her foot massaging. I'd never had one before. It was like getting a massage from Edward Scissorhands. Anyway, when I left, she went, she gave me a card with the, when I paid with the receipt and she said, you come back nine times, you get one free. You come back ten times, you get one free. So I wrote that at the end of my column. And the point was, which I didn't go into, I've only got fucking 700 words, was that even in this, they've been swept up in that whole loyalty card scheme. Someone who's, who speaks English as a second language is still, this is what we do here, we're on to the loyalty cards, right? Mm. And then I got a, a, a message from <clears throat> someone who I think is a lecturer somewhere, which is just mind-boggling to me that this could be someone who's in a position of authority over people's minds saying, I was really enjoying your column until you ended it with a racial slur. <laughs> what? Oh so for me to repeat that someone had said something in broken English, my dad speaks English as a second language. You know what I mean? I've grown up with people who speak accents. Well, why is, is So hang on. So I'm, you hear that as a slur. I don't hear that as a slur. I just heard it as the way she fucking said it. That's right. That is how she said it, and that is how I wrote it. With yeah. with no judgment about her, other than that she's into fucking loyalty cards. That's you right. Know? And, and I'll tell you what racism is. It racism is doctoring the quote, so she it anglicises well, her. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So there's but there's so much of that, you know. Mm. It's like this whole mental health thing. You know, as soon as someone says mental health, they're like, ooh, hands off, you can't say it, yeah. don't ask them any questions, mental health. But the whole thing we're trying to establish is that people meet with mental health issues are just like anybody else. If you had a broken leg, I'd ask you about your broken leg. Yeah. You know, so it's just this double speck. I hate it. I really hate it. It's the enemy of truth. It's the enemy of humour. It's the enemy of people connecting genuinely. It's the enemy of entertainment for sure. I, I went and saw it in nineteen eighty four at the Melbourne Festival and uh and they talk about the the speak of the time, which is all about reducing people's vocabulary. And the oh, more you reduce right. the vocabulary, the more yes. under control they are. So Yeah, right. But so essentially when anyone is trying to reduce your vocabulary, it's actually just trying to bring you under control and bring yes, your mind of under control. But you know what I'm mystified by that is the people who are the biggest perpetrators of it are supposed to be the people that are on our side. Like civil libertarians are the most depressive in my experience. Well, that's really that. Like I've got nowhere to turn to. No. Who am I going to turn to? The far right. Yeah. <laughs> like, what, what, what are we going to do? What's going to happen? Anyway, that's the wars war. That and that and um, speed cameras. <laughs> yeah. I've picked my battles. And the and the and the mental health thing. Just another thing is that the AFL clubs have found a loophole. So if someone's doing yes, a lot of drugs, then yes, they go, "Oh, he's got exactly. mental health, mental health issue." Yes. And everyone goes, "Oh, the media has to step off." Yes. Is yeah, that... that's right. So everyone's too scared to ask anything, but everyone knows it's bullshit. Yeah. Everybody knows it's bullshit. And then also, and then we have to refer to them and their partners as brave. I'm just <laughs> like, what? What? 
You've got to be joking. Just quickly, Kate and I want to acknowledge the sportsmen and women who do have legitimate mental health issues. But let's get back to how our thoughts and expressions are being restricted. You can't. There's so many conversations now that people know they can't have in public that we're like now back to pre-language times. We do. We're just communicating with ooga booga and widening our eyes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to go back to drawing on caves with okra, you know. <laughs> And having quiet meetings, you know. Yes, on the download that you can't set up on your phone. The, oh you God! Anyway, isn't it? Oh, isn't that a just... passive society where all just happy to go along with it? I think we're so lucky and fortunate and well fed. We're very complacent. You know, you look at Snowden, who should be, you know, fated around the world. No one really gives a shit what's no. happened to that poor cunt. No. You know, no one cares. No one cares about Assange who's dying of vitamin D deficiency somewhere. Like, mm. we just don't care. Look at me. I'm just thinking about going home to my pancakes. <laughs> Could I mention them one more time? By the way, I've got to go pick up my... Can I put you on speaker? I was worried we weren't going to get there, so I just blurted out the final question. What would you like your last words to be? How fantastic. We have ignition sequence start. Short distance, high impact. Five, four, three, two, all engines running. Ten questions with Adam Joir. Big names, great minds. Make yourself a cup of tea. Liftoff, we have liftoff. 